ladies and gentlemen, I hope that you are staying safe in the middle of this pandemic and uh, wearing your mask, social distancing. This is designed a live show, emergency uh, draft lottery uh, podcast here that will feature myself uh, and Pat as we're missing Mike, but we forge ahead uh, to discuss the misfortune of many that may become the fortune of others. It's the Dying Alive Show. It's the Dying Alive podcast. This is Jesse Marshall of the Athletic Pittsburgh. Joined today solo, but I'm not, I keep saying solo, but there's one other person which makes us a duo today. A duo. I got to get that down. I'm not used to duos. I'm not used to running twos. Pat Damp from thepensblog.com joins me. Hello, Patrick. I, I mean, it, it feels kind of like solo, you know, because it feels like if it's not all of us as a team, something's missing. So you don't really think of it as a duo considering there's always three of us or usually three of us. So... I'm kind of in the same headspace as you. I'm like, oh, we're flying. So- no, no, wait. No, there's two. Right. For for instance, on today's show, Patrick, we won't hear Mike's persistent cough or the jingling of the glass in his drink as he slams back on it 1130 on a Sunday. <laughs> Pour one out for Mike. Well, um, well, when you when you work the hours, Mike and I do like oh, God. 11, I, 1130 a.m. isn't really considered morning anymore. It's more like 8 p.m., right, for you? Basically, something like that. I mean... Yeah, something like that. Like, he has the... I think it's what... Uh, I think he does a midnight to 8 a.m. on Saturday and Sunday, and then I do a 2 a.m. to 10 a.m. on Wednesday, Thursday, uh, Friday, so... Super Let me fun. tell you, I don't say this... It's going to sound like I'm trying to rub it in your face. I really am not. I'm just pointing it out, at like... At like uh, things I'm noticing about the pandemic. Uh, my sleep schedule has never been more regularized because my it's the same every day now, right? Like, I don't have to commute anywhere. Not dr- I don't have to get up and prepare to go out into the world. Um, so I'm like at a point where like cr- I'm, I have the Kramer internal clock, I think now, so I cannot sleep in past a certain moment in time. Like I'm locked in right now. I've never, I've never felt more. Uh, yeah. Like the only, you know. th- the only, like I agree to a point because I'm like you said, but you like, you still have been going in though. No, like, you still have to go. No, oh, you haven't. No, I work from home. That's great. I, for some reason have thought that you, this whole time you've been tr- uh, no. trompsing around through the virus infected areas, <laughs> uh, to provide us with news. No, the, 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 v- there's very few that are actually in the newsroom at the moment. That's great. Uh, it's basically like, I don't want to say a sense. Is Mike one of them? <laughs> is that why he's not here right now? I, want to uh, say, I don't want to say essential because it makes it sound like I'm diminishing like other people's jobs, but like the people that like really have to keep the lights on and like actually go in front of the oh, yeah. camera in there. But like everybody Dave else. For that what? Yeah. I said they're, they're among the people out there that are delivering the information, trying to help us. Yeah. So, so but like, no, the thing I was going to say about the sleep schedule is like, because I basically just have to go from bed to desk, like sleep isn't an issue because I don't have to like get up at a weird time, get ready, make food, then like drive in. Like I just have to wake up and go to my desk, which is, yeah. and, and the only well, time, it, the only it, time it, it's it, a struggle is Fridays. Like, cause I finish uh two, two to two AM to 10 AM and then. I don't work again until 4 p.m. on Saturday as I do the evening side on the weekends. And that's like, you know, I get to like 7 p.m. on Friday and I'm like, oh, 
I need to go. No, don't go to bed because you'll wake up at three in the morning and you'll be dead tired by the time it's actually time to work. Well, uh, the big we're not going to do today's show in any chronological order. Um, we'll bounce around just, a bit. Yeah, we're going to take these topics as they come to us. Um, the big one here is that we and a congratulations is in order. After so many years of waiting, placeholder team has won the NHL draft lottery. Wow. How many years has it been? I mean, we talk about this almost every year. When is placeholder team going to do it? Their fans have been dying for this moment. Uh, it's huge. It's a huge win for their franchise. I mean, among the most hard-pressed and struggling fan bases, you know, you got your Buffaloes, your Clevelands, you know, droughtless teams like Philadelphia, Toronto, so many others, but we always forget placeholder team. And finally they get the opportunity and the break they have always needed as a long struggling franchise to get that first overall pick. Placeholder team would love to have Eugene Melnick as an owner. That's how bad it is there. Yeah, it's they just, clamor for a Melnick. I mean, they need they're they, yearning for a CSI like investigation. Um, <laughs> now, you know, it, here's you know, where this in the, in the in the ridiculousness and sheer awfulness that is Eugene Melnick as an owner with of the last five years, we all forget the CSI thing. <laughs> yeah, no, hundred percent. That was a huge deal. Um, for those that are listening to this, that don't know what we're talking about. Uh, Matt Cook, who earned the reputation that he had, let's be very clear about that. Matt Cook uh, did no uh, short number of things that could have. Uh, led to believe for a moment that there was truth to this. Uh, but the quote-unquote reformed Matt Cook is the one in question here, and we should clarify that, uh, the cleaned-up version of Matt Cook. Uh, innocuous situation collides with Eric Carlson. Eric Carlson's Achilles tendon uh, becomes severed in the process. Uh, I, I think anyone involved with the situation would have known that that was just a sheer unfortunate circumstance um, the Eugene Melnick, however, did not feel that way and launched a CSI-like investigation into the, uh, um, I guess we'll say motives of Matt Cook as if dissent, as if intent was something that was discernible from the situation, um, and decided that, uh, you know, we all needed to, uh, to get to the bottom of it. We never did. It remains the, you know, it's up there, uh, you know, uh, you know, with the, uh, Kennedy, you know, the great, uh, Great uh, conspiracies of our time. I mean, uh, give it a few years. Give it a few years. There's going to be like a, you know, it's a Pruder film. Yeah, there's going to be like a 12 part serial podcast all about it. Yeah. And, th- you know, they're going to bring in forensic experts and sports physicians. And by the end of the episode, like, they're going to call Matt Cook from some hinterlands of northern Canada. Like, and that was that the alien guy will be on there from the History Channel. Complete fiction. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so who is playing team? Well, Patrick, it is any team playing in a play-in round uh, that uh, will occur should we get to this point. Um, that's a whole nother, <laughs> a whole nother can of worms. So essentially, uh, the placeholder ball was the one that gets selected. That ball represents any team playing in a play-in game. So to go through them, Pens, Habs, Canes, Rangers, Isles, Panthers, Leafs, Jackets, Oilers, Blackhawks, Preds, Coyotes, Nucks, Wild, Flames, Jets. It's a lot of teams that could suddenly get the first overall pick. Correct. Now, the Penguins obviously fall into this list. Um, the loser of the play-in game 
losers of the play-in game will all have equal chance, 12 and some odd percent. 12.5. Thank you, of winning uh, the outright. So Lottery Part 2, Part D, uh, Electric Boogaloo, uh, will occur <laughs> after the play-in round where another ball will be selected. That team uh, will win the, uh, the Alexis Lafreniere Lottery. The Penguins name appear on that list. Things get a little bit convoluted in the sense that they did not actually have a first-round selection because they sent it to the Minnesota Wild for Jason Zucker. However, um, if the Penguins don't make the playoffs, which they technically wouldn't by losing the playing round, the whole goddamn thing is wonky. There's a dozen scenarios like this one. Um, I, I said on Twitter, Pat, I'm not even entertaining one where Alexis Lavernier comes to Pittsburgh because I don't think the Penguins are going to lose to Montreal. I don't either. And I mean, I, I have enjoyed being snarky about it and goofy just to, you know, stir the pot because people can, and here's the thing I've seen you get, I've seen you, I've seen you stir in it. Right. And people say things to us, Patrick, they said this to both of us. Well, you're jinxing them, man. How am I jinxing them? If I go out before a series and write an article, that says, I think the Penguins are going to win in five. Nobody bats an eye at it. Yeah, <laughs> nobody bats an eye at it. That's like a commonplace prediction practice. But if I say outright, say this way, and there's no, it's like all of a sudden it's a jinx now. If I was, if I was the Canadians, I didn't even play Carey Price in the series. If I knew I had a twelve and a half percent chance, no, and, 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 and how generational French Canadian talent, I wouldn't even play my starting goalie. Yeah, and that's what I was gonna say. Like, you know, if you're the Canadians at this point, Carey Price has got to have a mysterious injury and not play this series because. This is the once in a generation French Canadian talent that you have been looking for. Yeah, for yeah thank decades. you for quanti- Okay, that's the, the French Canadian is a critical piece to this because this lottery, the environment we're in with the pandemic. Alexis Lafreniere is a very good hockey player. I like him. I think he's going to be impactful at the NHL level for any number of reasons, any number of them. But this is not a player for me that comes in. And just pulls your franchise from the dredges. Detroit would have been okay because they already have a, a decent enough base there, right? Like they have players that are going to surround him and help him. Yeah, he wouldn't. Um, he wouldn't be. He wouldn't be. He wouldn't have been awful in Detroit um, because Stevie Wise done a pretty okay job in about a year and a half of kind of rebuilding mm-hmm. that prospect pool and getting them on track for a solid rebuild. But I don't think that he would have been the you know worst of first. No, piece he'd be great wanted. with like a like a Nick Suzuki in Montreal, for example, right? Um, any you know any number of the I mean I mean I think you know I'm trying to I mean I'm trying to you know the, I mean you consider him on the Oilers, my goodness, well, yeah, that's I mean, terrifying. Because well, if you, you know, if you were add him to the Coyotes uh, organization, all of a sudden, well, because if you if you add him to to Edmonton, that pushes Drysaddle down the depth depth chart, and all of a sudden, holy hell, they have like two and a half really good lines. And as much as we like to either way you do it, whether you keep dry side or where he is, is or you, you, you move him, you know, you, uh, or you move him, it's still the same result. Well, and as much and as, how as, much funny as would it be, Pat, <laughs> how funny would it be? <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm choking now. As I say this, uh, that we invented a draft lottery in the national hockey league because of the Edmonton Oilers incompetence that they continue to benefit from in the years afterwards. Well, I mean, <laughs> That is definitely true, but at the same time, like, they didn't alter the system all that much. Like, the only thing they could have altered to really, like, 
adapt to Edmonton's incompetence would be to say like, if you've won it in the past X amount of years, you are disqualified, but they didn't do that. Cause I saw, um, I saw Sean Mikendo rather better known as down goes Brown on Twitter yesterday saying to Greg Wyshynski, basically, you know, everyone that's upset about the way this draft lottery went, it's the same format we've always had. The Mm -hmm. only difference is now that we have a play in round, like, and so a play, yeah, that into yeah, to the point, Pat. Some a placeholder team would like wouldn't be a placeholder team. They, Detroit still would have lost. This it, we it, the only difference would be we wouldn't have to wait to do this a second time because we'd already have the seating done. Yeah, the balls would have already been in there, and a team would have been selected. Yeah, eight, so eight other eight, point, other, yeah. eight other teams just got um, added to the quote unquote playoffs because of the way the season got shortened due to the pandemic. Those teams would have had had been in the lottery regardless. This just meant a team that had very little odds to win the actual draft lottery won it this year. And right on. And to, and to that point, like I I don't have a lot of time for the people that want to yell about how it's rigged or it's whatever because like we as hockey fans, as hardcore hockey fans, I've said it on this show before. It's something I borrowed from uh, Adam Wild of the Steve Dangle podcast. If you're listening to a hockey podcast, chances are you are in the top 1% of hockey fan. Like you are seeking out information about the NHL and hockey and you're very involved and you're very knowledgeable and you're looking to learn more about the sport as you already seem to know a good bit, right? The point I'm making there is they just did a normal draft lottery. Like that's all it is. It's not, you know any sort of grand conspiracy, but we also, as those type of hockey fans say all the time, oh, we need there to be more entertainment and more drama and more things to bring people into the sport. Well, all of a sudden, a team that could potentially be a, not quite a Stanley Cup contender, but a competitive team could all of a sudden get Alexis Lafreniere. And you don't watch like the NBA, which is one of the most popular sports on the planet for parody. You watch it because they're super teams, and you're like, I want to watch this team either dominate or I want to watch them get knocked down. Mm-hmm. You don't have that in the NHL. Like, like as much as people dislike the Penguins, they're not a super team. Like, they're not dominating like a Golden State or Miami Heat back in the day or Celtics or Lakers or who or Bulls or whoever. But in those days, people loved watching those teams because they were so good, and people wanted to see either how good they could be or who's going to be the team to knock them down. You don't have that in the NHL. And that's not the reason the NHL is not popular, but it would certainly help. Yeah. Um, so let's parse this out maybe just a step further and start to get into like the winners and losers here. Um, or at least maybe just some notable talking points about where we're at. Um, and kind of well, Detroit makes the most sense to start with because they won 17 damn games last year. I mean, that's right. like, like, regardless of how you felt about the draft lottery and how it went, I mean, that's a kick in the balls for Detroit. Uh, just, just a historically well, and, and, bad season, and they fall. You, you, right. And so now you don't get uh, uh, Alexis Lafreniere. You don't get Tim Stutzla. Um, I wanted, I wanted the Penguins to be able to get him just for sports talk radio, how people would say his name. Stutzel. Hey, Yin, <laughs> hey how Yins feel about Tim Stutzel coming in on third line? Uh, and then Byfield, you know, would, would go, you know, number three. So um, I, I um, yeah, there's 
now you're in a position where the the number one prospect I think in Detroit system will likely be somebody that's already in there before this draft, and that stinks for them. Um, I mean, if, 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 <laughs> you're, if you're if you're if you're Stevie Y at this point, I also don't think you're too beat up about this because, as we said, he's done a pretty okay job over the last year of kind of getting them into position to start building towards something. So I this is to me as much as it sucks because of all the pomp and circumstance surrounding uh, Lafreniere, he still has them in a good position to start rebuilding. And for a team like Detroit and a guy like Stevie Y, as we saw what he did in Tampa, he doesn't need to get that once in a generation talent to all of a sudden turn things around and be competitive. He's going to build an organization in Detroit to where Grand Rapids is developing talent consistently mm-hmm. and pushing it up to Detroit, and they're filling in with free agents oh. and draft picks and prospects and college free agents. Um, you know, another thing, too, is it, it just with regards to Stevie Y himself, I felt like they really tried to press some kind of emotion out of him post-lottery, and you got nothing. The dude was like rolling with it. Any number of good players you can pick there. It is what it is. I'm not crying about it. Like I, if you're, I don't know, man, like if I was a Red Wings fan, I'd feel pretty good knowing that my front office was unshaken by this and was just prepared to get back to work. Um, oh, they yeah. They still have a lot of pick and they still have work to do. They're, they're not, you know, this isn't a, they, this isn't a death sentence, you know. They weren't, they weren't going to go from basement to champions because of one draft. That, that like and if you had that thought that's unrealistic and if i'm a fan of a team and i see my front office melting down over a draft lottery i lose all confidence in anything they do now i'll tell you who should be worried pat that's the buffalo sabers fans because um you know obviously they they they're picking eighth um and you know even detroit you know you'd rather be fourth than eighth right not only that they have no front office this is going to be a challenge for this. Whoever gets assembled to lead this group has a challenge right out of the gate. We constantly, I feel like every episode of this show, we mention Jack Eichel's uh, um, anger with where that franchise is and how vocal he is about it. So it's a time, the, the clock is just ticking over there. It's not, you don't get a reset from this move you made in the front office. This there's, you know, you haven't you haven't just made I don't think you made Jack Eichel feel great about, you know, all of a sudden where this franchise is. Um so for them to be an eighth, that's that's a knock, man. Well, that that's one that really you really will I think will feel. Well, regardless of what's happening there in their front office, what is a surprise to me is I really felt like if and when they were gonna let Jason Botterill go, they were gonna give Ralph Kruger the GM slash coach title. Because he seems to have a really good hand on what that team likes, dislikes, what his core is like, how he can build out from that core. And I, I don't know who Kevin Adams is. Like, I've never heard of him. And, mm-hmm. I'm, and, and I know there will be a lot of people that say like, oh, well, you guys, especially me, really beat the drum of like, oh, be innovative, stop hiring the same 15 general managers on a cycle and all that stuff. But like, there is a limit to that. Like you can't just pull a guy up because you like him. Like eventually there has to be some sort of 
he knows what he's doing or right. he's got some sort of fresh ideas. Like this just feels like the Pagulas pulled up a yes man and said, this is going to be our GM. Oh, hundred percent agree with that. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, Penguins fans will be familiar with Randy, the name Randy Sexton, who was uh, formerly, um, you know, a, a scout uh, uh, with the team, you know, years ago at the, uh, I think departed about the time Ray Shero did, if I'm not mistaken. Um, either way, you know, it, to me, it's tough to just uh, to come in and clean house like that in the months leading up to a draft. Because where does that information go? Whose board do you use now on draft day? Like, are you, do you are there people that are inside your organization that already have like information prepared? Are you having to build this from the ground up in a month? That is to me is is the most critical piece to this in that it's you know there i guess there's no good time to do it um here's here's the thing that bothers me about this for buffalo because of the pandemic and now with buffalo not making the playoffs or the play-in round we don't know when the nhl draft is going to be yet right right yeah you're right like so Let's say they still do this anyway. Like even like even if you discount the Pagulas coming out and saying a few months ago, no, we have full confidence in Jason Botterill and blah blah blah, and then they reverse course and fire him. You don't know when the draft is, so yeah. even even if they hold the draft lottery and you find out, okay, we're drafting eighth, fine, whatever. Why, Scott? Um, oh, go ahead. Why, why are you rushing to put Kevin Adams in that or Kevin, is that his name? Kevin Adams. Yeah, Kevin Adams mm-hmm. in that spot. Like, why not just say, "Listen, do a search." We're doing it. Like, <laughs> we're we're. It's twenty twenty. At least make people feel like you're doing a search. It's twenty twenty. You don't have to bring them to Buffalo to the Key Bank Center to interview them and have right, a whole, you like you can, you can call them on Zoom. You can call them over the phone. You can have a video conference. Like you can do all that stuff. You don't have to go through a traditional in person search. So. You're not you're not going to be playing hockey again in Buffalo until October, November, maybe. So you have yeah, the player you get in this draft, you probably won't see on the ice for six to seven months. So you have plenty of time to sit down and build a new front office. You don't have to put it on the fast track because oh no, training camp starts in September. That that doesn't look like that's the case. Like you have right. a lot of time here to find a good candidate with a good vision to, you know, help a franchise that frankly, like their, their prospect system may not be great, but they have an okay core of players right now. You can build around that. Um, Scott Wheeler, who uh, works the athletic wrote a really good summation of the draft lottery. Um, you know, he touched on some of the stuff you just mentioned there, Pat, um, you know, about this, the length of time we're looking at, you know, in the return to play and the, you know, approach teams take here, but he also mentioned a really good point in that this draft's crazy because there aren't many defensemen. It's light on defensemen. You're probably going to have a goalie get taken really high, which throws everything for a loop. And who is that team going to be? Which one needs a goalie the most? Um, combined with the uncertainty, you know, around where teams are picking in the shakeup with, with Buffaloes being where they are and Ottawa being at three and five, it's going to be wild, dude. This will be the craziest draft of all time. It's, it's People are going to be – I think this will be the one where it's like the, the state of your franchise will be reflected in this success or lack thereof uh, of what they walk away with on draft day. 
and I mean, as for Ottawa, not the worst thing for them being at three and five. No, and it's funny because you know I thought that they, you know, last year they they reached and, and drafted Lassie Thompson uh, in a move that I thought was stupid because they could have gotten him much later. Um, nobody, I don't, I, you know, I don't think there was a risk of him getting selected before they picked again. But it seemed too safe to me, is what I'm getting at. But now I don't feel that way anymore because they have three and five. Well, and I mean they've done a fairly good job of getting themselves in a position to be competitive in the next few years. Like, they have. Like, I'm, yeah, I mean, you've Jacob uh, Bernard Docker, um, Thomas Shabbat, Lassie Thompson all on defense. Uh, Brady Kachuk, uh, Josh Norris, Shane Pinto, um, you know, a bunch of good guys. Um, and then you add in two. On that the, side of it as well. So and then you add, talent. you add in two top five picks, and they're they're on a good track right now as as an organization. Yeah. The issue there is, you know, is Melnick going to spend money? Yeah, well, there's a whole – we could do a whole show about I, that. Because I remember a few weeks ago uh, – Mick and Do wrote another article basically saying like how how over it Sens fans are because of Melnick. Like they have like 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 Oh my goodness, it's, yeah. It, it's almost what's been going on up there is uh Well I compared I compared what he wrote, the apathy of Ottawa fans to the apathy of Pirates fans. Like it's hard for yeah. them to take good news because there's this there's this white elephant of well, that's all well and good, but the owner's going to screw this up. And, yeah. and well, they had that they had that same seminal moment, Pat. You know, where the Penguins, uh, the Pirates, excuse me, break the playoff streak, only to fall back into obscurity. You know, Ottawa has the 2017 Stanley Cup or Eastern Conference Final. Um, you know that they fall into obscurity from there. So it's it's very similar in terms of like that brief taste of success before um, you could kind of see it get ripped away from you from dumb management and, and, and i mean that like that's the other issue is like the, or the the other big difference to me is that i see is it doesn't appear that ottawa's front office is bad like they've shown they have a pretty good eye for talent and they have a pretty good plan in place to get the team back to a, a competitive area but you know if melnick steps in and screws it up like that's all for nothing and that's just that that's when fans get into that apathy area where they're just like yeah i mean it's it's cool but you know it's gonna be all for nothing in three years so who cares and that's never where you want your franchise to be ever like even if even if fans are pissed like like the way like steelers fans and penguins fans and to go to other markets like toronto philadelphia new york like they may be angry and up in and up in arms about every little thing but it shows they give a shit and that that's yeah. a good place to be in as a franchise that that your fans care in Ottawa and for the Pirates people are just like I don't care like they're gonna suck in two years who gives a shit um I guess uh you know in Penguins news uh there isn't a ton um but there is some and players have started to matriculate their way uh back to Cranberry uh for workouts uh I guess really the least surprising thing of all time is just uh trying to discern maybe future pairings and lines uh, from guys working out together. Uh, and if that is an exercise you're interested in, it's a safe bet that Sidney Crosby and Jake Gensel will be playing together. <laughs> um, a question <coughs> that there's no wrong answer to. 
because you've seen uh, the Gensel-Malkin combination works, and you've seen for a long time the Gensel-Crosby combination works. Um, so I guess it was just a manner of um, you know which one the coach was going to throw out there, and I think signs point to the band, uh, the proverbial band, getting back together, Pat. Yeah, and I mean that makes sense. I also don't think Zucker would be unable to play with uh, Malkin. I mean Zucker's no. a really good, really good hockey player, and it doesn't matter where you put him in the top six; he's going to be effective. And you just—it's the old adage of "don't fix what isn't broken." And Crosby Gensel is not broken. Like they continue to have chemistry. That wasn't a flash in the pan. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, um, so that's, that's great. Uh, I, I wanted to make mention of one thing. Uh, Sam Poland is, uh, apparently in Pittsburgh, uh, to be working out up there as part of the black aces. I've gotten a lot of questions from people. Can Sam Poland play? Do you think the penguins would use him? No, because there's no benefit, I mean, especially with their forward depth. You're not burning a year off his deal to play him in the postseason. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense. So the benefit here, Pat, is that he gets to practice with Sidney Crosby sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> like the, the takeaway is, like, get him around, you know, some talent. And I said on Twitter it'll be fun um, to get videos of uh, grown uh, NHL veterans trying to handle him. I think it'll be a challenge. Um, so it's, it, it, you know, I think that, uh, his, you know, develop development wise was a great year for sample and, um, a great year for the penguins as, as a result, he was very, very good. A lot of the deficiencies or perceived deficiencies that he has, he seems to be addressing his skating is, you know, getting better. Um, starting to use his frame more proactively, all good stuff. So this is the icing on the cake for me, um, is this opportunity to, to get some work in with professionals, um, I mean, my, my money is on Sam Poland playing in uh, Quebec again next year. I firmly believe that that'll be what happens. He can't play in the American Hockey League. So it's NHL or a uh, uh, Quebec Major Junior League, and um, I, I can expect you'll see him with the Sherbrooke, Sherbrooke Phoenix again. Well, and, and like you said, he'll get a lot of experience out of seeing how guys at the highest level prepare and practice and and get themselves ready to play through the grind that is the playoffs. And on the other side of it, the reason he shouldn't play and won't play is he won't get anything developmentally out of a limited role. Like if you put, if you put him on a bottom fourth line, yeah, five it, minutes here, there, it won't, yeah. won't do anything it, for him. It, it'll just be, it'll be not quite fish out of water, but it'll just be, you know, he doesn't gain anything from that. You're not putting him in the situations your, your development plans have him in for a couple years down the road where he's going to be either a top or middle six forward. I wanted to make mention of something uh, that you just reminded me of. Oh, before we move on, because I'm going to move on, but I want to make mention of one last thing. The benefit here for me, uh, additionally to what everything we've discussed, Pat, is this is going to be more of a training camp, right? Yeah. That means that a lot of the work Sam Poland is going to be doing is going to be focused on skating. Uh, yeah, it's going to be – it's going to be At an NHL level. It's going right? to be purely conditioning. Yeah, well, and or just footwork, speed. I'm thinking of like – it's an extra camp for him. Um, he needs that. I mean, that's his number one deficiency is his skating. I don't think it's enough to hold him back, but you'll take every bit of work he can get uh, with uh, big time professionals on that. So, um, you know, I got a, the NHL awards have been voted on. Um, uh, and I got a lot of people that reached out to me that wanted to write about it 
or were writing about it and all commented on either how good Teddy Bluger or Zach Aston Reese were defensively. <laughs> and uh, I've been thinking a lot, you know, like when it comes back, if hockey comes, if it comes back, you know, that that's one hell of a fourth line uh, for the Penguins to have in their pocket is like Tanev, uh, Zar and, and Bluger. It's difficult to even quantify how good um, Bluger and Aston Reese were defensively this year. Like good enough that people – that people in the analytics community would point to their results and be like, this is the kind of stuff you need to talk about for the, um, for the, for the, Nor- um, Selkie. not the Norris trophy. God, thank you. The Selkie trophy. Uh, this is the performance we're looking for. Now the Selkie trophy is like anything else. And that has a lot of reputation based stuff in it. You have to be good offensively too. Um, that's what disqualifies players like <laughs> or a Bluger and, and Zach Azaris. But, um, yeah, I just thought it was interesting that, to think back to the regular season because it never felt like they were that good defensively. I don't ever remember watching them thinking like, God damn, like, boy, these are suffocating. These boys are suffocating everybody. Um, but it's, you know, you look back at these results and we're not, you know, this isn't made up stuff. Um, that's a pretty exciting tool to have. But that's the thing though, right? Like you don't notice really something that's not happening right yeah yeah, you don't notice really good defensive performances because they don't stand out in the same way really good offensive performances do so you know the fact that it's it's a it's a body of work thing that you notice after the fact rather than in the moment like if you look back and you you watch the body of work that those two or three had as a line and you kind of go back at the end of the season and review and go yeah man when these guys were on the ice like the opposition didn't get anything and that's unbelievable. Like you're not going to notice that in the moment. Um, agreed. It's the same thing as a defensive defenseman, right? Nobody gets in the car on the way home from a game. Like, Oh my God, did you see Brian Doolin's gap control tonight? (laughs) No, like that just doesn't happen. Maybe you and I, um, (laughs) yeah. Um, uh, I, you know, whether or not we'll play is still a topic of discussion. Um, the Penguins have had a player test positive and recover. Notice I said a player because we didn't in Pittsburgh announce who that player was. Nobody cared. Wasn't a story. Didn't make a difference. Not the case in some other cities where if you get this illness, you'll be outed and your uh, uh, medical privacy is of wanton care to anybody uh, potentially reporting on it. Uh, that being said, Pat, the point of this, I was just allow me to just briefly soapbox there on the ethics of reporting people's medical history without asking them or having their uh, permission to do so. Well, but by, uh, by, by this point, <laughs> by this point, anybody listening knows what you're referring to. Yeah. Austin Matthews. Okay. I, I, I didn't know if we wanted to say it or not, but here, here's the question. Oh, sure, here, no, here's, really, here, yeah. here's the question I have, and I could be completely wrong. I'm willing to admit that. How much of this comes back to who it was that said it rather than the actual report itself? For me, none. Because I look at it's just a sh- it's a shitty icing on the cake because I think other players have had experiences. Um, and we don't I'm not going to, you know, again, people can Google it if they want to figure it out. Um you know that that sucks, but let's just go, like, and I'll I'll use a name like, I don't know, uh, Jonathan Uberdo. 
say it was you know Jonathan Uberto and the story came out of Florida, my f- opinion on it would be the same. And that's fair. I mean, because I, I I looked at a lot of it, and this isn't me defending him. This isn't me trying to say he was in the right because I think this is such a murky area of ethics and journalism and reporting. But I do feel like a lot of it was people saw that it was Steve Simmons, and that there's such no doubt there's such a, there's such a dislike of him that because it came from him, people were really really mad because they don't like him. And it, it, the thought experiment I had in my mind was like, what if this came from like a Bob McKenzie or an Elliot Friedman? Like, would we all be in the same in the same headspace of like, oh, this is bullshit. You can't report that, blah, blah, blah. And I don't totally disagree Pat, with people. Pat, here's my question, though. Would Bob McKenzie or Elliot Friedman report that? I, I don't know. That's the thing. Like, because, you know, they because the way I see it is. You know, those two are known as like the two big national insiders. Like they get the they sure. get, they get the scoops. They get if yeah. Once it comes from their mouths, the, like no one at that point questions it. But, but it, you know, at the same at the same time, I I totally gr- agree and don't discount the people that are like, hey, there's a privacy issue here. Like, why did you have to say the name? Why couldn't you just? That's say- just my that and yeah, and that's that's where I'm. That's the place that I'm coming from. Which I is if a player if a player told me I if like a player texted me and said I had coronavirus but I'm okay now, the first question I'd have would be can I talk about this? And if the answer to that question was no, my story would be player gets coronavirus recovers. Yeah, absolutely. That would be it. That's it. I mean, that's the story. That's the story, right? In and of itself, that who becomes cursory at that point to me because the virus exists in your ecosystem now and that's that's it like that should be it so and i mean even if even if and i stand correct by the way let me make mention i'll stand corrected if austin matthews sent a text to somebody and said you could talk about this anytime you want yeah i'll i'll take my shoe off my foot and i'll put it in my mouth <laughs> i'll put it in my mouth but when the people reporting it basically tell you that they did not get that i feel pretty good that they didn't Right. Like I feel like when the that's the thing is like when the discussion started, it was like, yeah, I know I did. You know, like and that was to me, it was like, ah, and the thing that kind of just to me, it's just it's cucky. Yeah, it's just cucky. That's all. I feel cucky about it. I don't like that it happened. And the the biggest thing that bothered me about it after like after the fact that really brought me more onto like the side you're arguing is that he kind of made the story about himself. About like, oh, I got this scoop and everybody's mad. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, th- that's always what it is, though. Do you understand that? That to me is that you nailed a really important point here, Pat. This is a great point because that reaction, that response about narrative is the same reason people don't like analytics. They lose the ability to tell you what happened in that game. They don't have that ability to be the sole proprietor of the story. I'm going to tell you the way this hockey game worked and I'm right because it's the old story about how um, I don't even remember the party involved here, but there was a situation years back that involved um, a big team. Maybe it was New York. Maybe it was Toronto. I don't know who it was. And they get sh- I'm telling you just shit on this. this morning. <laughs> I'm like just deuced on. I'm like a six nothing blanker in a bad time where it's just rife for criticism okay 
the, the article that was written was about a defenseman. I don't remember the defenseman. But this defenseman in the middle of this game, right in the, in the hex of this blowout, steps up at middle ice and cranks somebody from the other team. Okay? And the article says that is the winning spirit. And if that had existed for every other player on the ice, this blowout wouldn't happen. The standings wouldn't be where they are. This is a conversation about heart. Right? That player that night, Pat, was on the ice for almost 30 shot attempts against and like four or five, four. (laughs) I mean, you want to talk about a player that just absolutely got caved in but got excused because of one body check in in what would have been probably 27 minutes of ice time. They got caved in defensively, dangled out of their mind, run all over the ice, but that one goddamn check is what everybody needs on this team to fix this problem. And when, when writers get upset about analytics, it's because you've taken the ability to spin that story away from them. Because now, no, now that we know that the player hemorrhaged shots and scoring chances the whole game, nobody gives a shit about that body check. Nobody cares. It was innocuous. It had no impact on the game whatsoever and did nothing to stop the bleeding of a 6 nothing thrashing. Yeah, it's right. it's it's not it's not a, it's point, not a first shift of the game where he goes out and sets the tone. Said, it's like a Brooks Warpick type thing. You remember when he hit all those uh, Red Wings like in the first period, like in Mellon Arena, and the place went fucking crazy. You know, like that was useful. <laughs> that was like a useful, maybe not even specifically in the micro meta instance of that game, because Orpic was hitting people that no longer had possession of the puck. <laughs> But the place went berserk. The Penguins got possession. They, you know, that there was life in the building. They needed it, and it was a really desperate time. So I'll take that, man. Like, I'll, if you want to write a story about that, I, I'm not gonna bat an eye at it because at the end of the day, Orpik probably didn't get caved in that night. No, nope. <laughs> he probably didn't get his lunch fed though. But th- these things about like the me, I, 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 I sometimes, and this isn't. I'm not trying, you know, to make. I'm terrible at this. I'm not a good writer. Uh, <laughs> like, I'm still figuring out what I'm supposed to sound like, but I, I, I think that that me part is the part, and this isn't about any one person. It's just a comment about, I think the culture, um, in hockey is, is analytics are scary because, you know, you can't control them, man. You can't. And I, I you know, we've both talked about how many times we've been into a situation expecting to be able to write a story. We looked at the data and said, well, son of a bitch. That it isn't there. It doesn't make any sense. I what I thought uh, was completely wrong. Yeah, and the, and the, like to put the final point on it, like that was the thing that that brought me all the way, not all the way, but mostly to the side of the people that were upset about it was the fact that rather than you know run with the story to say like, listen, I reported on it because you know we don't know much about what this virus does. We don't know what this pandemic is all about. Like you know, how could this affect his long term health, and how could this impact? the team as a whole and the return to play protocols and the, the, the play in round and all that stuff. And, you know, how's the, how's it going to impact the biggest Canadian team and the biggest Canadian market in a time where this, everything in the sport is struggling. Instead, it just turned into like, well, I got this scoop and everybody's mad at me about having this scoop. And it's like, then why did you do it? Like why couldn't you just say a player? Um, maybe this is a personal opinion, Pat, but is the goal here, and in, in analyzing these camps and these returns to play to be at 0% virus. And, and, and as these situations pop up and, and come and go, I mean, like, you know, look at the Penguins. They've had one player recovered. Now, granted, 
that was before everyone was together. So a much different situation because they were not practicing together at that point, right? Um, so, but I guess my point is, Pat, where does the line get drawn in terms of when we can continue and we can't? I guess what does the environment have to look like for them to say, like, this is no longer okay? We can't do it. We're risking the health of way too many people, right? Um, not just players, but staff, you know, front office, whatever you want to – it doesn't make it – rink workers. Um, what, what, what does that look like? Do we, do we know? I mean the, the, the thing that I said initially with the whole Matthews report thing was like one of the ways I looked at it and still in a way look at it is, you know, before – before I can't say before because it's not like it's been contained, but like when pro sports leagues in North America were all too quick to tell us in the middle of this that we're going to be back, like we're going to have these return play protocols and we're going to start working on all these ways to get players back and restart our season. That announcement comes with a level of responsibility to say like, listen, we're doing this and we're going to keep our players our staff, our workers, and all those people safe. And if players are getting the virus, there is a a bit of a hint there that says maybe this plan isn't going to work. Yeah, 100%. Um, we do have to go to uh, Twitter. We got to go to the correspondences. Um, would you still drop the beats today? I mean, we have to, right? It's all part of the show. <laughs> It's a part of the show. Play the goddamn beats. All right. Trevor McDonald. First question. Do you think that Sidney Crosby squashed that watermelon with his thighs? I do. Yeah. I mean, I think, but I think because he's Sidney Crosby, he didn't want anybody to see it. So he just I did didn't it. want anybody to see it. Yep. He just did it. They took a photo of the aftermath and we'll never, uh, we'll never get the video. Shout out Mikey and Bob. Still crushing it. Um, still yeah, absolutely. Shout case. out to Mikey and Bob for uh, helping us get to that point. Um, Brad asks a favorite viewpoint in Pittsburgh that isn't Mount Washington. Um, he likes PNC park, um, or from, uh, the honor college reading room in the cathedral learning, which is a good one. Um, mine is the West End Overlook. Yeah, that was the one I was going to go yeah. with. Under like up in Ingram, yeah, West End Circle, right above the West End Circle. You got to go up to. I actually think it's Elliot. I don't think that's Ingram. It's Elliot is what that is. You got to go up to Elliot. It, you can't. It, there's signs everywhere. Or well, Google it. What I what I better. what I also enjoy since you know when I was still allowed to go into work in person, I always enjoyed taking a walk down to Point State Park and getting to the literal point of the point and just kind of looking at the city opening up in front of you, which is always a yep. good view. Really good view there. What historical, oh, this is from Jeff. Um, what historical non penguins game should every hockey fan watch if possible? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, and why is it the February 9th, 2011 Bruins Canadians game? Uh, that's <laughs> I don't know, man. Bruins Leafs would probably be a better one for me. I, I I mean Bruins that's a good one but like that the uh, uh, Bruins Leafs one uh, when was that twenty thirteen that, that was that was yeah. the lockout shortened season yeah that was the lockout one yeah you're right I would probably go with that one that was crazy 
Um, that that final game of that series was was Buck Wild. Miracle on Ice too, Pat would be a good one. I would say that was one of the ones I was going to go with, but I would say watch it. And then I'm uh, who was it that some, somebody wrote a few months ago on ESPN a an analytical breakdown of the Miracle on Ice. And it puts it even in even more perspective of how ridiculous it was that they won because they got crushed. Like, they had no business winning that game, more so than you already yeah. think of. Another good one I would say, and it's a series, not just a game, the 2011 finals between Vancouver and Boston. Like, that is a classic. Was, yeah, that was good. That was really good, too. Like, that the whole like, series, like you're right. That series was a microcosm of, like, where the game used to be to where the game is now. Because, like, Vancouver, the 2011 Canucks were ahead of the curve on, like, the way they built their roster, the way they played the game, the way they uh, conducted themselves. And the Bruins weren't totally completely old school like just brute force but they no. but the canucks had dicks on the on that team oh they did alec burrows aaron rome yep because because that the aaron rome horton hit like yep i I watched that series um like right as all the work from home and stay at home orders started (coughs) it holds up man it's really good like that those two teams just for seven games just destroy one another and and in a matter of like two games develop a legitimate hatred of one another for sure um we got several questions here about uh whether we would prefer to uh see the penguins beat the canadians uh or uh draft alexis lafreniere we've uh unfortunately kind of touched on those already um yeah that that's uh, that's pretty much the rest of our questions. I mean, for the for the narrative and to watch people melt down, it would be hilarious to watch them draft Lafreniere. But I mean, at the same time, they don't need them. Like, yeah. there's no there's no organizational need. Like, it's not this, and it's not to say like, oh, you, what you would turn down an Alexis Lafreniere? No, absolutely not. But like, it's not like there's some dire wing position that needs filled and like we could get Lafreniere in there like they don't they'll right. be fine without him well Pat I think we did a good job today no Mike just the two of us job well done yeah you know for a, a show that we kind of threw together at the last minute because of the draft lottery I think we did all right thanks for giving us a listen we'll be with you again soon to talk about the the ongoing stasis of our pandemic and potentially getting some hockey back. Thanks for listening. Hope you're staying safe and we will chat with you again soon. See you guys.